and welcome to the West End Best Friend Podcast. The sun is shining, spring is finally here, meaning there's no better time to sit back, relax and delve into all things theatre. For those listening for the first time, I'm Jack Gerbertson. And I am Robin Divin. And you're listening to the West End Best Friend Podcast, the podcast that brings you all of the latest news, interviews and stories from the West End and beyond. Coming up on today's show, West End superstar Dom Hartley-Harris joins us to tell us about stepping back into George Washington's shoes. We bring you along to Operation Mincemeat's press night for a stage door snapshot from after the show. And as the Take That Musical Greatest Days begins to tour, we compile a guide to the history of the Jukebox musical. But first, on to the news. Breaking news on the day of our recording. Hades Town, the Tony Award winning mega hit musical, is returning to London from February the 10th next year. Casting is yet to be announced, but Hades Town tells the love story of Orpheus and Eurydice as Orpheus journeys to the underworld to save her from Hades. The show is a retelling of the Greek tragedy with a score written by Aeneas Mitchell. Now, the show is going to be on at the Lyric, and tickets are going on sale on the 23rd of May this month. So set your alarms. You will be racing me for the tickets. <laughs> Very excited. I was gutted I didn't know about it when it was at the National way back. Yeah, so cannot wait to go see this gonna be amazing so excited <laughs> next up 2023 marks the 80th anniversary of oklahoma's premiere on broadway to mark the occasion the national theater are planning a worldwide cinema release of the 1998 london run of oklahoma starring the then newcomer hugh jackman as curly the film will be screened in more than 800 cinemas across the world on the 16th and 19th of july this summer Directed by three-time Tony Award winner Trevor Nunn, with choreography by five-time Tony Award winner Susan Stroman, the cast is rounded out with Maureen Lippman as Aunt Ella, Josephina Gabrielle as Laurie, Shula Hensley as Jude Fry, Vicky Simon as Addo Annie, and many more besides. And of course, if you want to see Oklahoma live on stage, the stunning revival of the show is running at London's Wyndham Theatre until September 2023. Yes, I've got tickets for that this summer and I've heard very, very, very good things. I can't wait and I'm, I'm desperate to see Hugh Jackman in the second role he ever did in musical theatre after The Boy From Oz. Very, very good. <laughs> now, fans of Succession, get out your diaries. I'm not sure how big the crossover between Succession fans and West End musical fans are, but I'm one of them, so there we go. Roy Family Patriarch Brian Cox is returning to the West End for his first role in almost a decade. Long Day's Journey into Night, the epic Eugene O'Neill play will begin previews at London's Wyndham Theatre on March the 19th, 2024. Now, the Long Day's Journey into Night is considered one of the greatest American plays of the 20th century. It won the Pulitzer Prize for its depiction of a summer's day in the life of the Tyrones, a family closely based on the author's own dysfunctional family. Cox stars alongside Golden Globe and Emmy Award winning actress Patricia Clarkson, the end of the world's Alex Lawther, Derry Girls' Louisa Harmeland, and Bad Sisters' Daryl McCormack. You can sign up to the mailing list so you're the first notified for tickets by going to longdaysjourneylondon.com. I haven't heard of this. I haven't either, but I absolutely adore Brian Cox, and the serious literature person in me feels like I've missed out by not knowing it. So I think I'm going to go in cold, going to get tickets and then go and see. And, you know, dysfunctional families is always something I want to see depicted. So we're happy to watch that one. Just jumping in, obviously Next to Normal is opening this year, which yes. I need to get my tickets for because that looks absolutely insane and I cannot wait to see that. 
yes, me and my friend have been texting each other once a week for the last, I think, two months saying we need to get next to normal tickets and then not doing anything about it. So, yeah, <laughs> next to normal definitely is on the list. Another... And that's how I've just missed out on going to see The Secret Life of Bees because that was also on my list of things to watch. And now it's been fully booked up and I've completely missed my shot. So I'm Another dysfunctional family. New musicals always get us excited here at West End Best Friend Podcast, which is why our ears pricked up to hear The Curious Case of Benjamin Button is coming to the Southwark Playhouse. The show, based on the book by F. Scott Fitzgerald, tells the story of Benjamin Button, who was born as an old man and has resigned himself to a life locked away in solitude. But all that changes when he meets local barmaid Elowen Keane. But with circumstances such as Benjamin's, the time and tides threaten to tear them apart. This new production has been written by Jethro Compton and Darren Clark and features a folky soundtrack of original songs, all staged by an acting musician cast. But you'll have to be quick. It's on from May the 22nd to July the 1st. Yes, I was watching something on Instagram about this earlier and it had like a little undercurrent of the theme music going on in the background. I was like, oh, hello, that sounds good. And my friend Anna is in it. I don't know what they're doing in it, but I know that they will be playing the bass and performing. So I will be getting my hands on tickets for that one. And yeah, anything folky, Once Amelie, all of those good folk bass musicals, some of my faves. So yes, definitely interested in that one. I love a folky score. I'm intrigued how they're going to do Benjamin Button on stage. Multiple roles? They must be multi-rolling Benjamin Button. They must be. Or they've got a very old baby. (laughs) It must be multiple roles, surely. I saw Sleeping Beauty at Sadler's Wells, the ballet, before Christmas, and they had a baby puppet that was being used as like baby Sleeping Beauty when before she got her finger pricked. And maybe, maybe that puppet's coming back out for this one. Maybe. It's going to be an old-looking puppet, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, whilst we're on the topics of time-defying relationships in books that we've turned into films and now musicals, The Time Traveller's Wife has been announced for a run at the Apollo Theatre from October 2023. The new musical tells the story of a couple who meet, fall in love and marry, but not in that order. Their love is the ultimate test about living in the moment, making the time you have count and never giving up on the things that truly matter. Now, this has got music by Joss Stone and Dave Stewart and it's set to be a tearjerker. It's going to be on till March 2024. Interesting. I'm loving all these new shows coming to London. It's feeling a little bit stagnant at the moment, the West End to me. So it's very exciting that all these shows are are coming up and and are going to give a real fresh feel to, to the West End again. I'm with you completely. And one final new musical to book tickets for and save your playlist, Ride is coming to the UK in July, and the original cast album is to be launched on June the 9th. It's 1894, and the bicycle is sweeping change across America. Annie Londonderry has a wager to settle. Can a woman cycle across the world? Four continents in 15 months. Easy except she's only been on a bicycle twice. From money-making masquerades as a Harvard professor to hunting tigers with German royalty, Annie spins the media into a frenzy with tales of her thrilling escapades. But with time running out and press coverage spiralling, she soon discovers that no matter how many miles she rides, the secrets of her past are never far behind. Liv Andrusier will be returning to the saddle as Annie Londonderry with a book, music and lyrics by Freya Catherine Smith and Jack Williams. The show will be previewed at Leicester Curve from 7th of July to the 15th of July before coming to the Southwark Playhouse Elephant on July the 19th. Get your tickets now. This sounds fun. 
It does. Now, I found on broadwayworld.com a version of this from the US. I am about halfway through. It cost me $9.99. I've got 120 hours to watch it. It seems very intriguing. It seems like it's a two-hander. Minimal set, but very cleverly used. And you can just tell that it's sort of spinning out into lots of different stories, lots of different things. And that ticking time bomb of what it is that she's running away from was just sort of coming to the fore when I paused it last night to get some sleep. So I am very, very intrigued. Music is fun music is delightful really 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 enjoyable so i'll be looking forward to hearing the soundtrack in full when it's out on the 9th very interesting and just on the back of that quick fire soundtrack releases that have been flying in recently jet what's on your list on your spotify so i've just been listening to a soundtrack called violet hour this was released in november 2022 and it's the story of a publisher in new york in 1919 who is sort of working out what he's going to do with his life and then one day a big machine turns up at his office that starts spitting out pages of a book from the future now this seems like it was a cast album that was recorded in lockdown it's got the writers behind the tv series central park it has Santino Fontana, it has Jeremy Jordan. It's got some amazing, amazing vocal performances on it, but incredible orchestrated score. Really, really fun. And I was just having listened to that this afternoon because it, it shuffled onto my playlist. And I've not heard anything with that much scale and drama from a new musical for a long time. So I'll be very interested to keep an eye on that one and see what becomes of it. Awesome. And recently released about a week ago is the Great British Bake Off musical soundtrack. Now, I saw this twice in London and I love it. It's so charming, so British and just a great time and also very heart touching. Yes. I mean, you're in so much trouble, so (laughs) much trouble. So Robin told me that I had to listen to this and I was like, no, you're right. He has told me it's really good. I'll listen to it. And I was planning on baking today anyway. So I was like, perfect combination. There I was stirring my butter, cream, sugar all together. And they've got two songs on that soundtrack back to back that are just a one-two punch of heartbreak. And I wasn't expecting it. I think in the same way that I suppose I wasn't really expecting to love Bake Off the programme as much. It (laughs) is, the the music is just charming, but those two songs just just broke my little heart. But then they put it back together again by the end. So Yeah. yeah, it's really, really lovely and a really nice listen. So highly recommend that one. I'm with you. I'm with you, Robin. Definitely go and check that one out. And a few, I've not listened to this one yet, but Shucked has released its soundtrack from the original Broadway cast. Now, this show is about corn, and that's about all I know about it. And I think that's about everyone knows about it, unless you've seen it. I have listened to one song because he's coming up on my Discover Weekly. It's called Independently Owned and it's got Alex Newell singing it, who I know from Glee. It's an earworm, that's for sure. I mean, what I'm gathering is that they are a small farm and maybe the farm is going to be taken over. But it's kind of hard to guess from one song what the entire thing's about. Besties, if you have gathered what it is about by now, then I am very intrigued because, yes, they are keeping their cards close to their chest on what the plot of Shucked is. <laughs> and if you have any new soundtracks or just any soundtracks that's currently on your playlists, please let us know. All the details are in the show notes and we'll be saying the email address throughout the show, which you can catch later on. And last, but certainly not least, we have a big one for you besties. 
definitely get this in your diary and get tickets now. The team at West End Best Friend are hosting our very first live event. Musical Mayhem is being staged at the Wonderville on Sunday the 4th of June. Come to the Wonderville for an intimate evening of cabaret and theatre fun featuring extra special guests from the world of musical theatre. Expect prizes to be won, participation to be had and dream duets to be sung. You can get tickets online and you might even see me and Jet there as well. It's very true. I am hoping that I can get down, but I know that James, who is the West End Best Friend founder, has already tapped my husband up to be MDing the event. He'll be there anyway, so I might as well come along and meet as many of you wonderful people as possible. I will try to get there, but I got a feeling I might have a Pride event that weekend, so I yes. might be... Yeah. I I might be being fabulous there instead, but I can't wait to hear all about it. You can find the poster online designed by me at High Top Design. <laughs> Super excited to see you all there. It's going to be an amazing evening. Tell your friends, get your tickets and definitely come to Musical Mayhem at the Wonderville on Sunday, the 4th of June. Our guest today is Dom Hartley-Harris. His roles include Jaguar in Bat Out of Hell, Collins in the Hope Mill Theatre's gorgeous 2020-2021 revival of Rent, Curtis Taylor Jr. in Dreamgirls, and George Washington in Hamilton, a role it's just been announced he'll be returning to in 2023. Welcome to the podcast, Dom Hartley-Harris. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Dom, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing really well. Really, really well. Yeah, really busy at the moment. It's all for the greater good of the West End stage, you know? <laughs> so right now you're joining us from your lunch break at rehearsals for Hamilton. Um, for Hamilton, right? I'm literally in like the standby room right now, <laughs> which is the best place for Wi-Fi apparently. So uh, here I am, yeah. And how's it all going? How are rehearsals? It's going really well, really, really well. You'll be surprised at how much you retain from, obviously you said I was re returning in 2019. And uh, yeah, all the stuff that would show me off, surprisingly enough I've gained and then all the little harmonies and things I'm still having to relearn properly you know what I mean which is quite good because it brings everyone together <laughs> that's really really good you're also finishing up your run as preacher in Bonnie Clyde at the moment so how's that yeah, going yeah. how into you're doing both at the same time is that right I am yes it's a first for me and it's a big old slug because there couldn't be any two characters more different the stoic and kind of put together George Washington and the out there and kind of like loud and boisterous preacher, which is fun to kind of like flip between the two. But yeah, we've got a week left of after tomorrow, a week left of Bonnie and Clyde. And then we'll have another four weeks rehearsal for Hamilton. Yeah, until we open. Awesome. That seems like quite a long rehearsal process. Is that sort of regular for shows you get that long or is it just because it's, it's Hamilton? It's not actually. I mean, it, I think it's because it's Hamilton because there's so many people staying, so many people returning to try and put those two together to make sure that we know everything we're doing before we get meshed with the, the, the cast that are staying. And it's such a, it's a three hour show. It's got so much... So many songs, so much material to learn, so much research to do to make it make sense. So many harmonies, that kind of, that kind of stuff. So I think that's why they've made us do a bit of a longer rehearsal period. But it's good because we all have the, the time to kind of like know each other as people as well as characters. And uh, then I, I always just think that's the best way to go when it comes to a show like this, to kind of know the people that you're on stage with 
and that there's a there's a chemistry there you know what i mean so you first yeah. joined the cast in 2019 and now you're returning to it but what was it like right in 2019 joining the london cast of a show that had got such an enormous buzz about it it was mental it was absolutely mental because i just feel like it was the first time i've felt like i stepped in it's it's kind of the stage version of stepping in your tv like if you got a job in like a film or like it's like the equivalent of like Marvel to me. Like I was watching Marvel and then like I was in a Marvel film. It was like the stage equivalent of like being in being in that and kind of like hearing the songs, hearing them say your name or your character's name and just kind of be like, wow, that's like they're talking to me kind of thing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was mental. It was crazy. <laughs> that's really cool. Some of Hamilton's success in the UK has obviously come from the cast album, which people have just mm. listened to on repeat and learned all the words. Yeah. And therefore... So that many... was me. That... <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, like, with original cast albums, that is the cast that people know. So how do you approach that when you're taking on such a huge role that is George Washington? I feel like you start the research, you start the thing that kind of is the through line of what people said about the character. I say the character, the real life. Obviously, George Washington, first president of the United States. One of the, I think there's been only three people who have been a general and then also been a president. So that was just a massive weight, and kind of like to bring that weight on stage. And I didn't think, I, I played it a lot earlier than I thought I would because he's such a, a monumental, gigantic figure. So yeah, I just feel really, really lucky. But um, listening to it before I was in it, it was just, he he had like the songs for me. Do you know what I mean? Other than like maybe rumour it happened to a birds doing that and that kind of thing and wait for it. Yeah, he just had like the songs that stuck in my, stuck in my mind. And uh, so yeah, I felt incredibly fortunate to be playing that part. Yeah, he's got a lot of authority when it comes to it. You know, he's the one that seems to know what he's doing the entire time. And how yeah. old were you when you first played the role? So, all right, how old was I? 27. 27. So that's a lot yes. of, I mean, I mean, I can't imagine you had much general and presidential life experience to be drawing on at that point. None whatsoever. <laughs> Literally, I just came straight out of, I think the, the last West End gig I did before Hamilton was Bat Out of Hell, in which I played an 18-year-old. So it was a little bit crazy to be kind of like, wow. Like, and by the time you meet George in the show, I believe he's near, he's closer to 40. So uh, to have that weight on your shoulders and to have Americans in the building to come and watch. And uh, they've, they've, they've all learned about George Washington. They've learned about the presidents and things um, prior to watching the show. And to be the face of like their first president was pretty insane. Yeah. That's just epic. And you mentioned Bat Out of Hell. I really want to talk about Bat Out of Hell because yeah, I, I, I saw you in it in the original cast and I was just completely blown away. I think Thank I saw you. the original run about three times in the end. Just, just <laughs> I'd never seen a show like it, just from the, the point of view of the vocals. Like, the vocals was insane mm -hmm. in that show. Yeah. How was it originating a character based on this iconic music? And what was that process like? It's looking back on it in retrospect as well, it's just kind of like, it was a moment in time where we didn't know how special it was going to be. So we all just kind of like, when my agent rang me <laughs> to tell me I had an audition for 
uh, and me love musical because that's what people said first yeah no one really knew what was going on and when i heard me love musical i was just coming out of, i was near the end of the contract for beautiful the calgary musical which was my last which was my first west end gig basically mm. which was like the opposite of like i was like the fourth drifter doing kind of like shoe up shoe ups r&b <laughs> kind of like smooth vocals and my agent rang me and said you've got an audition for the me love musical i was like what? Why? Why? <laughs> why? 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 Why do they want to see me? I mean, no, it's true. It's true. But you're you're kind of taught in drama school that you need to find your uh, find your corner of the casting. Yeah, casting bracket, that kind of thing. And uh, so, yeah, I was very confused. But then, yeah, I remember walking in and thinking they're never giving him this role. I was also in for Strat first, which oh. is hilarious. <laughs> and then I got asked. I know, like blonde-haired, blue-eyed, black-hearted boy. <laughs> <laughs> strange right and I remember asking my agent if there was any other roles that were after I walked out the first audition um, if there were any other roles that seemed interesting and then along came Jaguar and the rest is history it was just it was incredible because you listen to the cast recording now the first cast recording I've been part of and the second one's coming out I can't tell you exactly but Bonnie and Clyde yeah hey. keep, your, keep your eyes and ears peeled for the second cast recording. But yeah, the first cast recording I was part of was about as hell. So to listen to that back now and kind of be part of history, because Simon's music's just so timeless. Mm. So anytime anyone searches for these songs, my voice will be linked to some of them, which is, I just feel so lucky. Yeah. It was incredible. And you and Danielle Steers as well, your chemistry on stage was great Again. to watch. Again, we knew each other from Beautiful. So ah. at the time... We were in Beautiful, and yeah, she. We, as soon as we were put together, because everyone was paired up in auditions, and as soon as we were put together, we were like, surely, surely we can do this now. And then, yeah, again, boom, we got it. And uh, yeah, it was just, yeah, she was the best person in terms of like in the vocals and not the way she acted the part. Me and her were the best people to get that part, to originate those parts, I reckon, in terms of chemistry. Uh, it was great. Definitely, it was a it was a very special theatre experience. So yeah, thank thank you from yeah. me for for giving that because it was incredible. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. Let's take a listen to Dom and Danielle singing "Dead Ringer for Love" from Bat Out of Hell. Baby, 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 rock and roll You mentioned that that the Bonnie and Clyde soundtrack is coming out, which might be an exclusive for the West End Best Friend podcast because we've not had a press release on that one yet. So you might get. We might well, get there we go. Trouble. You heard it here oh, first. That's very, very exciting. How has Bonnie and Clyde been for you? It's been a decent length of run, and you've had a lot of buzz around it. It's been really fun, and it's been kind of like the. It's been a really short run. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of one of the people who have these contracts that last for twelve months, fifteen months, that kind of thing. So it's been strange to have one that it's a flash of pan you know what I mean it's been really quick and uh, again it was one of the things that I listened to I did an acting course at drama school but me and my friend James Edge who you're definitely getting to know obviously <laughs> James um, Edge founder of West End Best Friend oh founder of West End Best Friend but we used to listen to Bonnie and Clyde on like there'd be like road trips and he was obsessed so he then in turn got me obsessed 
but that was years ago. So I never thought it would actually happen. And then when I got the call to offer me the part of a preacher, I mean, it just seems like a really cool full circle. You know what I mean? That's amazing. And it was a call to offer it. You didn't have to audition for the role. Not this one. No. Hmm. Luckily, Katie Richardson, who was the musical supervisor for Rent, you know, and is also the supervisor for uh, Six, um, Global Six now as well, that was West End. Yeah, she knew me from Rent and uh, kind of put my And when you played Collins at the Hope Mill Theatre. Collins, exactly. Saw yes. that in lockdown, watched the yes. live stream of it. It was very good. It was, pretty, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool watching yourself do, do on screen as well. And seeing if anything you wanted to put across came across. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and luckily, were you particularly self-critical or do you think you're like, yeah, nailed always, it? Always, always self-critical. There's always, there's always room for improvement and there's always room to learn. And I think the moment I start learning and growing, I'll just call it a day. Were you slightly worried with Bonnie and Clyde? Because obviously the original run didn't do well on Broadway um, yes. <laughs> and I know it's yes. obviously become a cult favourite since then of but was course, that yeah. on your mind when you went into it or were you quite confident that it was going to be well received I feel like I mean obviously it won in, in this country anyway it won a best new musical mm-hmm. and everything to have that kind of fan base here already was pretty uh, something to, to, to lead to the confidence in the fact it was going to do quite well the music and that as well I mean You've got Frank Wildhorn, who's been, who's wrote for Whitney Houston. Yeah. Got Don Black, who's done stuff for Michael Jackson. You have to have kind of a confidence in the material when you've got people like that involved. Mm. And and there's always, again, with things that keep on. I feel like Bunny Clyde always keeps growing based on its audience, based on its the country it's being performed in. So I feel like it was always just a a venture where you just wanted to do your version of that character. And uh, kind of get meshed with the, re- the rest of the cast, new and old, and uh, just enjoy the ride, man. Enjoy the ride. Definitely. And also, it's a show that probably won't come around that often. So to yeah. get to do it in London is really special. Exactly. And it's set in, in a beautiful theatre, like, and a place I've always wanted to perform, um, like the Gary. Mm. It's just incredible. You've got legends being on that stage. You've got Judy Dench. I remember going to see the, um, the Shakespeare season there years ago with Kenneth Branagh. Judy Dems, that kind of thing. And it was just to be on that stage, the history in that theatre is pretty miraculous. Yeah. So if you take us back then to Little Dom going to see the end of the Shakespeare season at the Garrick, what was your journey into theatre? Wow. Always probably goes back to what the person who got me into theatre was my nan. Um, but only really because I, I still have to think about it now sometimes, but like I, I had a bit of a confidence issue when I was quite small, had a stammer, that kind of thing. And it was it was used at that time to kind of bring me out of that. Do you know what I mean? It was like a bit of a tool to kind of get my confidence up. Never thinking I'd be doing it as a, as a profession. And yeah, and then the rest is kind of like, I, I started stage school on Saturdays in Birmingham at the Alexander Theatre, the new Alexander, Alexandra, as it is now, and did a few things there was always part of the school musicals. You know, we did uh, Grease, Bugsy Malone, Oliver. Any um, favourite early roles? Favourite early roles? Probably Baby John in West Side Story. Because West Side Story is my favourite musical of all time. Just just ahead of Hamilton. 
Okay. That I mean, sometime is early in his early days. It's like you can't really knock those lyrics, can you? Bit of Sundown Burn staying together as well. Them two coming together and just having. I just love West Side Story. So to be part of that early on, I think I might have been. That was like semi-pro. I might have been about thirteen when I got that role. So to do that, that was a, that was a favourite. Bugsy Malone, I was obsessed with when I was really small. So in school doing that was pretty cool. And I was Doody in Greece. <laughs> and then out of sort, I know, right? And then pretending to play the guitar as well. I don't play guitar. Um, <laughs> so a bit of magic changes was fun. And then my last one at school was Mr. Bumble in Oliver. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know, right? This guy. So blasting out a bit of a boy for sale. And having a, bit, a few comedic, comedic moments. And then we had to get into the GCSE kind of thing. So I didn't get to do all the, all the rest of the school musicals and things. But yeah, that was all very, very fun. Mm. And playing that, all but those then, different yeah. roles as well must have built your confidence up that you could play with all of those different types of things I'm and still, be like, oh I'm yeah, I can learning. do this. I'm still learning for sure. Literally, <laughs> I'm kind of like this, just jumbling around different type of roles. And still, again, knowing your drama school and they tell you you need to be, if you're a lead as well, which I was like a semi kind of like, I've never cast myself until recently as like a character actor you always needed to follow one line so to have that early on kind of juggling different types of roles and then it coming back into the frame now it's pretty cool last year you stayed your own show don hartley harris live in london at crazy cox how did the experience of performing in your own show compare to being on stage in a show and how did you decide what songs to include it was absolutely terrifying if you ask anybody that knows me and was around around the time that I was doing that show. It was just like, I'd never, and, and from the moment I was in that building until the last song, I was just like shaking. It was like, to, to hold a show for even like an hour, and an hour just seems like 24 hours when it's just you on stage. And yeah, it, it was really terrifying, but it, it's something I'll never go back and not do. It was brilliant. and. Uh, Songs. It was just all kind of stuff that meant a lot to me. Stuff I grew up when I was I grew up with. My mum was a massive music lover. I just remember I remember her trying to throw out all her vinyls. I don't have I don't own a record player not yet. But I was like, you're not throwing them out. Like I, I had to take them because all the music that she used to play has kind of just been ingrained in my DNA growing up. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I picked which songs to do. And then of course the ones that were special to me during in the shows that I've up until that point. I suppose as well it gets you an opportunity to play roles that you and sing songs from roles that you wouldn't get to do or you wouldn't get cast in. If you could, yeah. if it was if you went for dream miscasting, if you could be cast in any role in any show that isn't in your casting bracket, who would you go for? Just one. You'd probably be a little bit flexible. <laughs> so we do we do a top three. Okay. Uh, let's do Angelica Skylar. Because Very good. Here we are. Yeah. He's just like, she's just like, she's the boss. I mean, I play the president, but she's the boss of Hamilton. <laughs> Angelica Schuyler, Laurel from Dreamgirls. Nice. I'd probably give it a go. Get to belt out. <laughs> if I, we were Jimmy and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and then, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the moment, which probably didn't start, it might be a bit of a cheat, but right now I feel like she is. She, Bobby with an eye. Because she is female. Like yeah. Kind of like, so to swap back, I'd love to give Bobby a go, number one. 
Bobby number one. I mean, yeah, yeah I, the switch to her being a woman in company. Yeah. I went to see it with a friend of mine and we just held hands the entire time. <laughs> like, it really cuts oh, through yeah. and cuts deep, being like, oh, yeah, we it's need to get brilliant. our life in order. It's, but it's so it's good. All, it's almost like it was written that way, but couldn't be put on that way. Almost. <laughs> but yeah, something tells me. Something that was written so so long ago, so long ago, like seventies, eighties. That kind of it's not that long ago, but yeah, I feel like it was years, almost. Huh? It, it it just slots in. I mean, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it it slots in really well, and it, it really really works. And I'd love, but I would love to go back and just give it a go. Miscast as Bobby. Bobby, female Bobby, or Bobby male Bobby. Oh, who knows, man? You know, like, I'll, give it, I'll give both a go. Put a wig on me if you like. I'll let's give it a go. That, let's put that out into the universe. I won't shave this, though, so let's see if everyone believes me. <laughs> <laughs> well, if all of that has got you excited, then make sure you get tickets to see Hamilton with Dom in it. Dom, when yes. do you start your run in Hamilton? I start my run on the 19th of June. Amazing. 19th of June. And if people want to find you online, you are on social media? I am. I'm on Instagram. Just Instagram. Yeah. And your handle is? The, the D Hartley Harris. The, the D Hartley Harris. Well, there you yeah. go, guys. All you go and follow him immediately and get your tickets booked or check him out on Spotify if you want to hear some of those amazing soundtracks. <laughs> This week, Robin and I were lucky enough to be invited to press night for Operation Mincemeat. If you haven't listened to our interview with creatives and cast Spitlip, then go back to March and listen to that now. As we were outside the theatre, we created an audio stage door snapshot of the reactions from fans and even bumped into composer and writer Felix Hegan as well. First up, you'll hear from Western best friends Callum Wallace. Uh, I am utterly, utterly, in the best way, speechless. I cannot believe this is the this is the same show we saw at Riverside and that has uh, developed. And I'm so kind of secondhand proud of this company. Influencers. Oh, I'm Val. Uh, I discovered the show back at Civic Playhouse. Mm-hmm. And I just love how fresh and innovative and amazing it is. Mm-hmm. And the gender bending and the cast and the amount of talent is just insane. So. And, Belle, you're also like Queen Minstluencer. You've created this community, really, haven't you? I, I did mm-hmm. start the community back in the Civic Playhouse run. Some might say cult leader, but uh, we're all willingly part of it. So. I mean, look, we're charismatic leaders are important. Um, why? What's the community aspect? really brought to this show i think it's more so we can all talk about it and just find all the little things that are in there and continue to discuss it and find more joy in it because every time it come out it's just like meeting up all, all of the friends in the audience and on stage so it's just a community gathering it's more than just seeing the show has anyone had that experience with the show before that they've like found a community that it's really resonated with them no not at all no. i think i think with mincemeat like I see something new in it every time and not just like when it transferred to the fortune and stuff changed like we've seen it at the fortune three times now and there's just always something to enjoy amazing anyone else got anything they want to say about the show who would they recommend it to what's the what's your favorite part go on I think I would recommend it to anybody who enjoys really clever writing. It feels very much in the style of classic British comedy like Monty Python, has a sort of pantomime-esque quality to it, but a very sort of modern 
queer spin on that. I really, I really enjoy it, and it's clear how much work has gone into improving it at every iteration of the show. Hello, yes, it's Felix Hagen here, one of the uh, one of the writing team of hopefully hit, hit show Operation Minsby. The um, hello everybody. Hello. Yes, I'm uh, yeah enjoying the podcasting experience. Good. This is the professionalism that always happens. I always forget to bring recording equipment yeah. and hope that it goes well. Uh, you join me here just, you know, doing my post, my traditional post-show wander of the London streets. So you seem to have a guitar, a keyboard, um, a briefcase, all strange things to have when you didn't play in the show. I didn't. I no? didn't. These are all items that I used to them? sort of compose music for the show. Great. When I've been squirreled away in my little sort of hideaway in the theatre mm-hmm. for the last few months. And how does it feel? You've now you had your first night of press for your West End show. Well, I'm done, so I can finally take all my stuff out. <laughs> all is well, and now I'm just going to sit here and um, chew all my fingernails off until the reviews come out. I mean, I'm sure they'll be forthcoming. Great. Great. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Do you? Yes. Oh, yeah, God, yeah. It was the most intensely beautiful experience of my life. I can believe it. And to get, you know, you know, when suddenly mm-hmm. you keep thinking, this, no, 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 this is actually happening. It's yeah. actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. I used to come and see matinees when I was sort of four yeah. years old. I used to come and see matinees around here with my mum when I was a tiny kid. Have you got and a full out of body experience? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Who yeah, are you? Yeah. Who are you like, seeing with tonight? Oh, I was just sort of floating around. I was, I was, you know, up in the up in the back. I was. Just, I can't sit still while it's happening. Like tomorrow, I will sit in the audience mm-hmm. for a whole show for the first time. The rest of the normally, I'm just sort of flitting about. Yes, no, I, you know, because I just get, pacing. Mm, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. That's very good. Mm. But yeah. no, I'm very happy with that. You're very like, happy. I've, with... Absolutely blooming nailed it. So, Felix, have you met any of these team before? Many, many times. Many, many, many yeah. times. So everyone, you, you have been to the show many times, so I'm going to come Sorry. and get in. Can you introduce yourself? Uh, my name's Liam. I've been to the show 12 times now. 12 times? 12 times, and yeah. yourself? I'm Jack Lawrence, and I lost count of how many times I've been, but it's definitely over 20, <laughs> possibly 30. Okay, so how much does this show mean to you guys? A lot. I mean, it's an incredible show. It's it's the one show that I've absolutely fallen in love with. I've, there's a lot of shows that I've liked in the past, but this is the first show that I've really loved. And it's the same for me. Well, I've not seen any shows before, so this is really my introduction to theatre as a whole. Really? Yeah, really. Oh, wow. And I was pretty much the person, like, I don't like musicals, eh, not for me. But then someone told me, nope got to see this <laughs> well, all right i'll take a punt when it fell completely in love <laughs> well isn't that just beautiful yeah not bad not bad yeah. introduce yourself hi i'm jonathan chamberlain and this is the fourth time i've seen operation mincemeat so is it the first time you've seen it now it's in the west end yes yes first and, time and this is press night what are your thoughts oh my heaven isn't this just wonderful it gets better i can't believe it and and Jack Malone. Jack Malone. I think this time, no. I've heard you do it. I can see the cues. I can watch it coming. I know what you're going to do. And you know, I'm bored of this by now, Jack. I'm bored of it. It's okay. It's just going to happen. And then he says, Tom. I'm in bits. I'm in bits every time. I'm 56 years old. And he just gets me. Damn that man and his talent. Yeah, it's a very subtle performance and it does just slay you every single time, it doesn't really it? It really does. And it is a lovely moment of subtlety. Well, there are a lot, that's not fair. There are lots of moments of subtlety. This is a really clever show. It's a clever show full of energy and it has a charm that so relates to its, its subject matter because these 
as they sing were very clever people and they were sort of making us up as it goes along and although this show is clearly rehearsed with an inch of its life it hasn't lost that sort of slightly improvisational feel there's a sense of danger about it you never quite know what's going to happen and that's brilliant even though i've seen it four times even though i know most of the words it still feels just as fresh every time so who would you recommend coming to see the show oh everyone I'd recommend everyone to come and see the show. I'd recommend it particularly um, if, like me, you read the Ben Pimlock book and you think, how on earth are they going to make a musical out of this? I'd recommend it if you were deeply sceptical. I'd recommend it if you love theatre, if you love theatricality, if you love invention, if you love creation, if you love imagination, you should come and see this. And you should come and see this if you want to laugh and if you want to hear good tunes. That's why you should come. Everyone must come. So... Unfortunately, I wasn't able to make it. But Jet, how was the show? It was absolutely amazing. Now, I know we've made no secret of my love for this on on the podcast. And in fact, I have been to see it a couple of times when it's been in previews. So it was really exciting. One, seeing it going into the West End for the first time. But secondly, seeing this little show that could and like the the joy and the relief in the cast's and creative's eyes when they got to that um, curtain call was absolutely amazing for them to really see all their hard work really pay off. An amazing night. There was then a gala night the following evening, which looked absolutely spectacular, but so much fun. And the whole audience was just fully on side. You could tell that it was a, it was the press and the audience just loved this show. And I think there were people who were blown away by it. There were sobs and sniffles the whole way through. It was absolutely incredible and a very, very special show. That I'll be very surprised if it doesn't run much, much longer than its current run till August. I would definitely try and see it in its run because I'm I'm very excited to see it. And I, the reviews that have been coming in have been absolutely amazing. And of course, if you want to hear more about Operation Mincemeat that isn't straight from me, it is now booking at the Fortune Theatre till August the 18th. And they've even launched a lottery for cheaper tickets, which I think they're doing every couple of weeks. So make sure that you keep an eye on that. Plus, if you're not able to get to the show... The soundtrack recorded by Sony came out on this day that we are recording, the 12th of May, and it's there on Spotify and all good music platforms. You can buy the CD if you want, you can buy the record, but I've listened to it twice since midnight last night already. It's very, very good. Go and listen. I'll definitely check that out. If you have your own stage or snapshot you'd like to share with us, then please get in touch. We'd love to hear and see you at the theatre, either giving us a few lines on your thoughts from the show, or if anything out of the ordinary has happened, perhaps you've met the cast, or you're there for a special occasion, then make sure you include that info. You can email us at webfpodcast at gmail.com or get in touch via the social media links, which are all in the show notes. This month began the UK and Ireland tour of Greatest Days, the official Take That musical. This is the first time the show has been seen on tour since it was written in 2017, as a collaboration between Take That themselves and writer Tim Firth, who is perhaps best known for writing The Girls, the musical based on the story of Calendar Girls. Now, there are a lot of jukebox musicals in the West End right now. There's Mamma Mia, Tina, Moulin Rouge, Jersey Boys, Ain't Too Proud, The Choir of Man, and Even We Will Rock You is going to be back this summer. So... What is a jukebox musical? Simply put, it's a show that takes its soundtrack from well-known songs, either from one artist or from many. Now, the original jukebox musical started out on screen rather than the stage. Films such as George and Ira Gershwin's An American in Paris took many of the era's popular songs and incorporated them into the soundtrack. 
I Got Rhythm was first composed by the Gershwins for another show, Girl Crazy, and Swonderful was originally in the Audrey Hepburn film Funny Face. By the 60s, the Beatles began to capitalise on their amazing fame by bringing their songs into films, such as A Hard Day's Night and Yellow Submarine. The 70s saw the Bee Gees creating the soundtrack for disco classic Saturday Night Fever, and the 80s saw the launch of the quintessential autobiographical jukebox musical on stage, Buddy, the Buddy Holly Story. What came next? was Mamma Mia in 1999, based on the music of ABBA. It was an absolute blockbuster success and led the way to the plethora of jukebox musicals we now see in the West End, Broadway and more. Now, I want to welcome back Dom Hartley-Harris now. Dom, as we talked about before, you've been in two of the very big jukebox musicals, Bat Out of Hell and Beautiful, The Carol King Story. So does the audience respond differently to music they're so familiar with compared to shows with original soundtracks? I would say with the ones that I've been part of, uh, they've, they've still both been very, very different, even though they're both in jukebox musicals. And I think it's a generational thing, maybe, at how you approach reacting to musicals. But yeah, Bat of Hell, as you can imagine, it's all in the name. I mean, it's it's loud, it's everything's at 10, everything's at 100, you know what I mean? So yeah, that audience was very, very kind of like full on in the best way possible. And then with Beautiful, it was people of the era when those songs came out. So it was like more of a, like looking back, like a like a retrospect on the music and that kind of thing. But on the whole, in jukebox musicals and original um, musicals, I would say, yeah, they're probably reacting in the way that the songs are ingrained again in their kind of like in their bodies and in their memories. Whereas you're probably learning a little bit more when it comes to an original an original musical. I guess it's quite a safe show for someone to go and see if they're not into musicals so like with Bat Out of Hell you could take your dad who doesn't want to go see Wicked or anything but because he likes Meatloaf you could take him and then at least he's going to have a good time because of the music there we go exactly I think I think if you do it right and um, if you're relying solely on the music and you're into like plays usually or like Academy Award winning films and that kind of thing like the, the and you're into like the writing without music it might not be your cup of tea but really i think it's it's the version of as somebody who came from a family who i couldn't really afford we couldn't afford to go to the theater back in the 90s early north and that kind of thing we, we it, was, it was just something so far away from us so all the things we had were on screen so if you're thinking of soaps films i reckon maybe g1 musicals are that access of like Again, quotations, normal, like the masses, people going to go accessing theatre and wanting to access theatre through a, another medium apart from the typical jazz hands. You know what I mean? I think it just it opens up a whole new audience to theatre, which can only be good for theatre because at the end of the day, it's a business. We've got to sell tickets, that kind of thing. But if you can get away with um, doing that and people being inspired to come back, then it can only be a good thing. Yeah, I think you're completely right. Sometimes, you know, we hear all the time jukebox musicals are criticised for not giving space in theatres for new writing. But then at the same time, if you've only got a limited amount of money to spend on a theatre ticket, you're not going to throw it away on something that you're not familiar with. I mean, I know Moulin Rouge, the film, was one of the Mm. first musicals I fell in love with. And also it was the first time I heard most of that music because for me, it didn't feel like a jukebox musical because I didn't know any of it. It it wasn't familiar. So 
I think it is a great way of getting people involved who wouldn't normally, who wouldn't, you know, think that theatre is always for them. Exactly. Yeah, I was the same with Moulin Rouge. It's just, again, it's another one of my favourites in terms of, like, the stage show is just like a, a spectacle. But being so young when the first one came out, I think it might have been 2002, 2001, 2002. Early um, 2000s. Early 2000s, yeah. When I was watching that and seeing that kind of spectacle in my house, just being able to re-watch that as well and get the love for storytelling through music with visuals and um, audio, the music, music and everything. I think it's just like one of the best memories I have, again, when it comes to um, one of my first musicals. I think they really can work as well with the autobiographical approach. So mm. we mentioned Tina and, and things like that in our list. Yeah. I recently saw The Share Show on tour. I saw it in Bristol and that worked incredibly well because the way they did it, they had three versions of Cher throughout her life. They were kind of narrating on each Cher's time period and what they were experiencing. And I, I love theatre when it can do that anyway and, and suspend that disbelief where obviously that can't yeah. happen in real life, but through storytelling, it's really powerful. It's the place you go to when you want to, again, suspend your disbelief. Anything can happen. Yeah. Which is, again, it's the most exciting thing is be three hours of just kind of like escapism, which for me... I always say escapism is the key word for me when it comes to watching something. I don't always want to go and see. Like I watch films for escapism sometimes, but a lot of the time, the things I watch on screen are kind of like to do with now, real life. Do you know what I mean? Where theatre, because it's so visceral and it's so like it's there, I want enjoyment. I want to escape things that can be, yeah, just maybe a little bit too much for you all the time. I think just theatre can be, as long as it's got an emotional core, mm. whether it's happy, sad, whatever, it's got an emotional core, but you can escape what can really happen in real life. I think it's just the definite, the, the, the definitive thing for theatre, really. And, and that's the thing as well. Like, obviously, if you're telling the story of an artist, you're not going to have mm. an original score if they've already no. got a massive catalogue of music. And then exactly. by yeah. linking in certain songs with certain periods of their story, you can understand where the songs came from. Uh, mm-hmm. like when they're writing it and it might be a story that you didn't particularly know beforehand so they yeah. work really well in in that regard i could take it slightly controversial here and talk about quite a big topic that's been in, in the news recently which is like theater etiquette mm-hmm. and tours having audience members that aren't regulars to go to theater and they go yeah. to your show thinking it's more of a gig rather than a theater piece Obviously, we had it recently where two audience members were removed from the bodyguard on tour. And that was due to, I think, just alcohol being consumed and and people having a, a good time. But you can have a good time and not disrupt the audience, obviously, on stage as well. And, and I can imagine from your point of view, being an actor on stage, how off-putting yes. that can be with random call-outs and people not being respectful, I guess, to the actors and to the audience. Yes, I reckon it's it's definitely kind of the fourth wall is there for a reason with some with some shows, and we're taught to. There are specific moments. If it's an accident in theatre, or in the writing anyway, nothing is not meant to be there. Love. So if you're directed to not acknowledge certain scenes, especially if it's another emotional one, or it's leading to a big climax or something, I reckon people shouldn't be so. Again, controversial, but yeah, I do think it's quite selfish in the way of 
just been just affecting everybody else's show, everyone's day. And forget even the people on stage, because I'm talking as an actor, but I'm thinking more the people in the audience, because that's why we turn up and people keep turning, people keep showing up and paying for tickets, and they don't come to hear hundreds of people in the audience mm. singing the songs. They're there for a reason. You know, otherwise, I'd say do it in their earphones. You know what I mean? But I think, you know, there's also ways that shows have built that in. Mamma Mia, you yeah. don't sing along for the whole time, but then there's a yeah. curtain call and they do a reprise yeah. of everything and you get to have a boogie and a sing-along. And, and you get to same... do it then, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, I was, as a lot of people were, when this morning decided to take to the topic. And, you know, I'm I'm never going to be elitist about theatre, but no. to disrespect the people who were performing on stage and the people around you is, um, I think it was a very reckless thing for them to be saying, especially when, you know, we're all, I'm sure, lovely, lovely audiences, but there's yeah. a lot of people in theatre, a lot of front of house members who are getting treated not very nicely at the moment. I don't yeah. know if it's post-pandemic, too much booze or whatever, but there is a lack of, it. there's a difference between theatre etiquette and being nice to people. And I think some of that's going out the window a little bit. And we need to remember that why we're all there is to have a good time and to be respectful. I think there's ways of doing it which are classy as well i mean i went to see for black boys recently last mm. month just finished now and if everyone did anyone get to go see it i didn't get to see it but i know it could be touring hopefully well, hopefully hopefully so but what was amazing definitely fingers crossed and if it does tour then bessie's please go and get tickets for it amazingly it's one of the best theater pieces i've seen in a long time but it had mm. it wasn't a musical but it had moments of music and song throughout it and what was great is because they were playing with so many different genres of music from throughout history is that people had really lovely organic reactions to it and something would be sung and two or three lines all of a sudden the audience would be like yeah i'm there but then yeah. the actors pulled it back and they were it, it was like it was choreographed it and it was the amount of control they had to be like yeah you get to sing we know you're going to respond to this next line and you're all going to sing it along because there's no way you can't do a call and response to that but then exactly. we're going to pull it back and it was it was the first time I'd really seen that in a theatre where they played with the fact that yeah people are going to go in without any expectations they're going to hear music that's familiar to them and they're going to want to sing along we're going to be the ones who stay in control and I think it was you know, very very gracefully done and a very yeah. fine line to be treading but a really interesting way of approaching audience participation. Yeah. And let's, let's lighten up the segment before we end it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, if it's not an autobiographical show, they need to form a story around these songs. And some of these yes. stories can be very bizarre. <laughs> obviously, Bad Out of Hell. The story is mental. weird. Like, mental. it's obviously based loosely on Peter Pan, which I didn't pick up on the first time I saw it oh, by my friend. You wouldn't be the only one, trust me. You might um, and I... as soon as I tell people, they're like... Oh my god! <laughs> of course. Yeah, I didn't realise that. Yeah. How is that in a rehearsal period? Do you, do you just have to let go and just go with it and be like, "Yeah, this I'll is just... weird, but we're we're in it for the ride." It's going to be more awkward if you're half in than half out. Yeah. I reckon the only ones. I mean, that worked because everyone there was in the same mindset of just being kind of like. It's Jim Steinman. I knew Jim, like, <laughs> I knew Jim. I didn't know him personally, <laughs> but I knew his music. Best friend. From year, years before. Mm. And I don't think you can listen to things like Bat of Hell. Like, even like his more serious ones, like Anything for Love. But then you'd go to ones like Paradise and, yeah, by Dashboard Light. And you just wouldn't be able to listen to that 
and not think it was going to be a bit of a trip watching that show. Because everything's like, every number is a story as well. Yeah, there's yes. such a narrative to all of those songs. Anyway. Exactly. But then also I wonder if that sort of works in, against it because there is a story in the songs already that people have started yeah. pulling together. And then they're like, well, actually, this is Neverland. And you go, well, yeah. that's not the story I was creating. <laughs> you know what? I think with the, with the hardcore fans of that, they always have their memories of those songs when they first heard them. Yeah, their, their own life experiences that they've, they've stamped onto those songs, which I just always see as a positive because even if they're following the narrative of the, the show, they'll still have that emotional callback of when they first heard it or what they want to put onto it, which I just think would only just catapult the rest of the show for them mm. forward. And it also gives a show the opportunity to do what Bat did and like push a car into the orchestra pit and have That's it. like have members of the orchestra coming out with broken instruments. And I loved all that sort of stuff. And I remember when yeah. the song Bat of Hell started, I was just my, my my brain just went strap in. The next ten minutes are going to be nuts, and they were. I'm going to be mental. Yeah. <laughs> I love it though. I just loved it. I loved it so much. Just watching. Thinking about when when they told us certain things were going to happen, we obviously as there's a lot of stuff that people want to happen in theatre mm. that when it comes around to it doesn't. That's the like the show that I remember just being like the only show I've been part of so far where they say something's going to happen. And when they said there was going to be a Cadillac going to the orchestra, <laughs> it was there. It was happening. <laughs> you could feel the heat off stage from the fire. So a lot of the time again, it was just kind of like, yeah. They're like, this is going to be eight foot high, nine foot high fire like, at the side. And we're like, we're never going to clear this. And then it all got cleared. And I'm running up rocks as this fire. Like, it was just all crazy. But it was so refreshing when I was there at the vision matchup to what they said it was going to, what, what it was going to be. I've, I've got to ask, are you allowed to say how the water tank worked with... Oh, no. <laughs> I can't. I can't. It's magic. It's it was. Magic. It was magic. So, as someone who's not seen Bat Out of Hell, yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> there, there was... Next time. Next time. <laughs> you've got to go and see it. Um, it's a very, very clever way of getting somebody in and out of water in different costumes. Yeah. But as I said, it's. I, I say clever. It's not. It's just magic. <laughs> <laughs> it was nuts. It was it was so good. But that that's... and a very very talented man who can hold his breath for quite a while and then <laughs> sing straight afterwards. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, I think that's that's the beauty of jukebox musicals. It you can just have fun with them and go yeah. completely out of the box, and people won't really care because they're just they're going along for the ride. The ride. Um, and that's the same with We Are Rock You and stuff like that. The story for that is just completely out there, but. Everyone loves Queen and the songs hold up and you just go with it and it works. What are some of your jukebox musicals? Are there any songs or artists you'd love to see turned into a show? Email us at webfpodcast at gmail.com and let us know. is all we have time for on this episode of the West End Best Friend podcast. Thank you so much to Dom Hartley Harris for joining us. Remember, you can catch him in Hamilton from June the 19th. Thank you for having me, guys. Cheers. Thank you. We will be back soon with more news, reviews and insights from the West End and beyond. Till then, you can keep up with all the goings on via the West End Best Friend website and across our social medias. All of the details are in the show notes.
Till then, I'm Jack Gerbertson. I'm Robin Dibbin. And I'm Dom Hartley Harris. <laughs> Wishing you a wonderful <laughs> week ahead. Bye. Bye. Bye.